Anthroposophy to the Point, a podcast of the weekly journal Das Gertianum. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Anthroposophy to the Point. My name is Charlie Cross. I'm an editor here at the Weekly Journal. And today we have a special guest, Lynn Bautza, from the agricultural section. And the impetus for us to meet today was uh, a little bit of recent bad press that uh, at least certain aspects of the anthroposophical movement are getting in relation to uh, a sort of climate change denial. And... um, Yeah, this is a huge, big subject that we can't hope to uh, encompass in in 30 minutes. But we thought it would be great to, um, yeah, to highlight some of the things that are happening within the agricultural section and some of the, um, yeah, positive ways that we have been approaching this issue as, as a movement, you know, really, really accepting that this is going on, recognizing that this is a pressing theme and, and also um, recognizing that anthroposophy and biodynamics has a lot to give to it. So Lynn, how about you? Um, yeah. How about you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your experience in this movement? And yeah, if you can maybe speak to some of your understandings as to why people would be skeptical about this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for, for the invite. Um, so I will, try to to share my experiences um, from this movement or working in also organic agriculture for some time. Um, yeah, so when I started, I was, let's say, 18 and a half years old. Um, and I realized that for me, I definitely need to study something about climate change and, um, yeah, focus on that theme. And during that time, Although scientific studies existed and although the people were aware that, um, yeah, international governmental organizations are dealing with climate change, climate change was still an issue of, um, not most of the people, but still, um, only some of the people covered that theme. And I just remember a lot of train travels where I talked with people around the world and saying like, okay, what I'm doing, having a normal exchange. And they were very like critical about it and said like, okay, why are you building your future in climate change? And this is not a topic and it's, it's anyway, just, um, just media and press. And I have to say since that time, so let's say around 14, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, um, this changed a lot. So among society, climate change is more realized. And I would say the people are less skeptical. Although, of course, there are still critics and skeptical um, voices existing. And um, I think they are existing independent from anthroposophical movements or, um, yeah, I think they're just part of the society and constantly changing throughout the time as climate change is becoming more and more important and more and more um, visible and also um, more something that you can feel on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's changing. Yeah, really quick, <laughs> even within the last four or five years, I feel like there's been a huge change. Yeah. Yeah, so let's speak a little bit about 
you know, why are people skeptical? What, what do you think is still holding? Why are people still sort of holding out? What do you think are the, you know, maybe the intellectual reasons, but what is the sort of emotional experience as well? Mm. Yes. I think for me, when I came across people who denied climate change, I was very angry at the beginning and I, I couldn't really listen to them. And for me, it was, not understandable how a person could deny climate change <laughs> and what was going on in the head. And, and now I more and more try to listen to those voices as well and try to understand what is going on in their minds to, let's say, neglect so many different scientific studies. And I think one of the reasons is that climate change as a word is quite strongly associated with um with guilt and fear mm -hmm. and that's difficult to deal with i mean as as humans it's it's always i mean you don't want to feel guilty of existing mm -hmm. but you're coming into this dilemma if if you're in the world and um you're emitting further greenhouse gas emissions and you yeah. know this causes the the death of so many other people all over mm -hmm. the world um it's something which is hard to hard to handle and um so i think a lot of the people are also afraid and fear that their personal choices is having negative implications for for other people in the world and i think it's also a lack of trust uh, a lack of trust into science because climate change is something which is modeled into the future and this has to do with how you understand the scientific models and how much you trust the predictions. Mm -hmm. And um, it's quite complex to understand those models. So it's not something which is easy to grasp and to understand, but it's something which is so seems to be so far in the future. And um, as I said, this also has to do with the time horizon. So this is also culturally a question, how much you're based into your current time or mm -hmm. like how much you live in the moment, so to say, and how much you live for the future generations or mm -hmm. the other people to come. And then, as I said, it has to do with communication because climate change is always something which is communicated in such a negative way mm -hmm. and in such a drastical way um, that if you don't feel those effects immediately, then this is something which is difficult to, to understand. And I think there the farmers are in a big advantage and at the same time very vulnerable um, because they feel the effects of climate change and they, they see it in their fields. They um, see it when they harvest their, their crops. Um, they f see it when they witness how heat waves affect their animals and so on. So they are directly into this um realizing what the effects of climate change are and i think another aspect is also the capacity or let's say the willingness of the people to to be responsible for your own life and not to put um your whole trust on politics because what i often hear is that ah yeah climate change is something where I can't do anything. It's something which needs to be decided by politics. And, and so you may feel, let's say, um, 
Now I'm missing the, the correct English word. Okay. but <laughs> You can always say the German word too. I, I understand. Okay. Um, so this Ohnmacht, so this um, powerlessness, yeah. powerlessness of um, understanding that even if you are just one person, your effects and your decisions are relevant for the whole world. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something which is um, scary and mm -hmm depending on what kind of person you are, it may feel overwhelming yeah. or frustrating. And for example, where I come from, so I, I come from, from the east-north part of, of Germany, um, the people are still frustrated with the politics. And so um, they just often say, yeah, climate change is not a topic or we don't trust the politics to mm -hmm. deal with it. And, um, and at the same time, they don't have the feeling that they have their own power to do something against yeah. it. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, that are some of the reasons why I think that people may come to the conclusion that <laughs> yeah. climate change is not an issue. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can empathize firsthand with a lot of those, with a lot of those mm. feelings. Mm. And it seems to me that increasingly, Over the last couple of years, there's been a lot more um, pushback against what people see as governmental overreach or the restriction mm -hmm. of the individual. And mm -hmm. it seems to me that Antipasophy is in a great position to encourage people into this freedom that takes responsibility for the whole, that tries to, tries to be in relationship with community, with the earth. So yeah, so maybe we could speak a little bit about the the sort of um, yeah, sort of spiritual <laughs> dimensions of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how does uh, how are you thinking about this, or what do you see anthroposophy has to offer? Mm. I mean, when you <laughs> when you work in the climate change debate for for fifteen years, then you you go through different phases. Hmm. <laughs> so it's not it's i can't say that this is um a one end process and now i'm there where i need to be and i will not change my position <laughs> on that but I, i feel and this is something which i also felt with corona for example that um we really need we we're kind of forced of asking ourselves the question what is our role in in the earth, like with the earth and mm -hmm. at the earth as humankind. And um, what is the role of, of nature or what is, yeah, what is the, the interaction between human and, and nature? And from what I have learned so far <laughs> in those years and um, witnessing, yeah, witnessing and listening to nature, so, so to say, is that um, each thing that exists has kind of a yeah a role and is not there without any purpose, but it um, overall is embedded into a larger um, complex mm -hmm. thing called world <laughs> or mm -hmm. earth. And for me, I think the question arises: what what we as humans would like to have as a role. So. For many centuries, we had the role of destroying and um, creating um, a separation between us humans and the mm -hmm. nature outside. Um, 
and we have emancipated our way ourselves from nature in a way or we mm -hmm. felt that we <laughs> yeah, emancipated we're, we're above nature even yeah <laughs> and um yeah and i think with with climate change we are in a position where we feel that this is not possible anymore mm -hmm. um although the current debate is still concentrated so much on this fighting against climate change and mm -hmm. um, fighting against the nature effects, the extreme weather events and so on. And it might be or where I feel where I would like to position myself is to come into a balance with nature and to start communicating with nature and um, trying to understand what we could do as humans or as persons, as individuals. Um, for coming into a dialogue with nature. And that's quite tricky. <laughs> it's like a partnership. I mean, if you come into communication with nature, then you may realize that sometimes you need to restrict yourself a little bit um, for the other partner. And then you will also find situations where you receive a lot from, from your partner. Um, so it's a give and take situation, I would say. And so for me, the question arises if climate change maybe brings us the possibility to really come into a collaborative effort um, and partnership with the earth and at the same time in, as into a partnership also among us as human society. Because, I mean, we are connected through our atmospheres all over the world and I think it's so seldom the case that um, you have a situation where you act and your actions will lead to effects on a different continent or country or region of the world. And by this, it kind of helps us to connect with one another and to really develop empathy and, um, yeah, this partnership with, with the, with the nature, but also with among us as society and yeah that's at least for me that's helpful to not consider it as something which would like to destroy us mm -hmm. but rather to think of climate change as something which helps us to come into a more healthy and let's say balanced human role and purpose mm -hmm. so to say Yeah, I love the the description of it as a sort of initiation mm -hmm. into a mm -hmm. into a new or a more mature stage of being human. And that for me doesn't mean that um climate change is not an issue, so I don't want to understate it or or mm -hmm. say that it's not real or say that it's uh not harmful. I mean, we know that daily people are dying because of extreme weather effects and mm -hmm. we know that harvests will decrease because of droughts and um, we know that the situation will be drastic in the future and is currently already developing in that state but i think it also can provide a chance to um, change their own perspective about how to give and take with nature mm -hmm. and of course we need to act fast <laughs> and maybe also drastic and um and yeah in in a very 
holistic and and um, big way because I think we really need the system shift mm -hmm. um, to come away from over exploitation and over harvesting the resources that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about your you know um, in relation to the to how big this issue is the um, the sort of phrase that y'all focused on is breathing with the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this was the the title of a conference that you had with the youth section um, last year and also the title of an upcoming book. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could tell us more about this, yeah, this spirit that you're working yeah. with here. Yeah, so um, breathing with the climate crisis, exactly. We have once a year, we have um, the agriculture conference, um, always in February, where the biodynamic movement is coming together here at the Gutiano. Um, in 2021, we couldn't <laughs> do it live. Um, we had to do it online, but still so many people from all over the world came here together. And we did this with the youth section together because we thought like, okay, we need to include the, the youth for the future aspects as well. And farming and, and young people are kind of related with one another. So we wanted to include that. And breathing with the climate is exactly, um, trying. So we, out of this context, we wrote a book, um, which is also called breathing with the climate crisis. We will present this during the, um, next COP in November 2022. Um, and the idea is basically to translate, so to say, the anthroposophical or biodynamic impulses into a modern, modern language. Um, how to, how those can be used to come into collaboration with climate change mm -hmm. rather than fighting against it. Um, but not in a climate change denial way, but really in using the anthroposophical thoughts for um for something good mm -hmm. <laughs> so to say um so as an example for example um we covered the aspect of the organism which was a concept developed by rudolf steiner for uh, many different fields so in in the medicine um, but also in the biodynamic agriculture and this aspects um shows that a farm is organized as an organism where you have different elements that should be connected with one another and um that you can try to provide a self-sufficient farm um that you have a diversified um diversified element so that it's not just monocultures and so on and the farm is that cultivate their farms according to this thought of the organism um, they often come into very different connection with their surrounding landscape and nature so if i compare it to conventional or even organic farms and they really develop this empathy with their nature and find very creative holistic solutions for problems um, that include like the environmental perspective, but also the economic, the social and the spiritual dimensions. And um, 
the good thing about this concept is that it can be applied everywhere. So it's um, it can be applied by every farmer and can be applied by in every region. So you adapt the system to your local needs. And by this, it's a it's not just a concept, but it can become a solution for for climate change, and it can be something which um, you can apply on your farm or also on in your kitchen or <laughs> <laughs> I don't know in, um, in the supermarket when you shop because it helps you really to understand that um, the earth can also be an organism mm-hmm. and. Um, by this, you don't have the separation between nature and humans, but you have a collaboration effort, mm-hmm. collaborative effort. And the other aspects we are also covering in this book is um, the Michaeli impulse, which is uh, sometimes more difficult to translate. <laughs> but um, let's say we we try to translate it into modern language and really try to show that... Um, our role as humans is not to be a destructor of everything, but that our role can be to be a supporter and um, a creator, a shapener of a healthy landscape. And um, by this, you, we always say in the section for agriculture, you act locally, but you think globally. Mm-hmm. So, um Although you're farming, of course, on your small patch of land that that is your farm, you're still thinking about um, the earth as a whole organism and this consequences that your farming will have. And by this, you um, you connect with the global sphere, so to say, and with the global atmosphere. And that's something which I find extremely um, <laughs> great to work with. So, yeah. yeah, that's such a great response to the ways that Climate change can be so overwhelming and so much bigger. You know, how could a single person hope to make any impact? <laughs> but if we take these small steps or if we, um, yeah, work, work with our web of relationships, however that looks, that, that does echo out, that does have an impact. Yeah, and I mean, the nice thing about farming is that you see the effects quite, I mean, it takes a little bit of time, but still compared to other areas, you, you see effects of your, of the type of farming that you, that you perform or that you do. And I think that's something which makes it more greifbar. So this is something which makes it more approachable approachable for, for others, um, to connect with. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we are exciting, uh, excited to present this, this book at the COP and see what the re- reactions of the politicals, um, mm-hmm. politicians will be. So, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, make sure to have a segment published and mm-hmm. tell people where they can find more. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It seems that, especially in the ways that when thinking about you know, carbon dioxide as the big bad enemy or, you know, greenhouse gases mm-hmm. as the single enemy. And it's sort of a mathematical way. At the same time, we still have to approach it with yeah. a holistic, you know, uh, a holistic method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I see biodynamics is just such a beautiful a- approach to that, you know, mm-hmm. recognizing quantitatively that there's a problem, but approaching it with a, with, with more, 
emphasis on the whole and on relationships and yeah, even on small individual actions. Yeah, and I mean the question is with the with the carbon dioxide with the CO two that it can be something dangerous if it's emitted too much, but it can be something super cool tricky, if you huh? <laughs> if you seeker surge <laughs> into the soil and into the agroforestry systems and into the hedges and into the trees. Mm. And then again, it's a question of communication. I mean, if you want to communicate something as super dangerous or if you want to show, let's say, the potential, if it's used in a way mm -hmm. which is fruitful for the nature. And um, I think I, I don't have a problem with carbon dioxide if it's secreted into the soil yeah. <laughs> and into the trees. Then it's quite a cool thing. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> so. what a different... What a different approach, you know, seeing this as an opportunity yeah. to, um, that there is an abundance of a sort of resource, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that resource can be out of balance and terrible, but we can also make use of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Is there anything else that you would like to share about the, the section's work or, um, yeah, in, anything that you're excited about that you want to just sort of mention as a last comment? Yeah, I think, I mean, as a section, we are always trying to, um, yeah, to, to find the combination of individual action and, and what you, and society, so to say. And, um, we have quite a nice saying and, um, how, I mean, we talked about this frustration that as a person, you, you feel that you can't have an impact mm -hmm. um, in the climate change. And Uli Hurta, our um, co-leader of the section, he said the nice sentence, the earth is waiting for my footprint. I want to walk on the earth and make my contribution for our joint future. And I think that's that's what we would like to do in the in the section to really have this perspective shift that a footprint or mm. being or breathing, <laughs> being present in this earth can be either something which destroys or it can be something where um, positive seeds mm. and um, good actions can develop out of it. And I think for me personally, I would rather decide for the positive, yeah. <laughs> although it's sometimes difficult and of course takes some personal effort. Um, but I think it can be, um, a good role in the future for us as humans to come away from the distraction and move into the positive footprint. Yeah. So, wow. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, we'll have in the notes uh, where you can find more information about the book and the section. And um, yeah, I look forward to hearing comments. Thanks for, for hosting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Till next time. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. You can read the English edition of the weekly journal Dasker Tianum at daskertianum.com slash E-N.